they're kind of showing that it's possible with this, this new generation to break through to the top level. It's not like it's totally not. It's not just the older generation. Okay, not too old, but yeah, not the. Why are you looking at me when you're saying older generation? <laughs> <laughs> I feel so old. He's older than I am, so that's that's okay. Oh, I'm, I'm the, not the oldest. You're the oldest one here. Oh. So. Welcome back, everybody, to another C-Squared podcast. We have a very special guest today. We are here with Grandmaster Abhimanyu Mishra. He is, um, you've been chasing, in fact, a lot of records throughout your uh, very young career. Up to this point, you were uh, the youngest expert at age uh, seven. Um, you were also the youngest Grandmaster in history, beating a very, very difficult uh, record, I have to say. You've achieved that when you were only 12 years, four months, and 25 days. I have to say that is just uh, simply incredible. Um, Thank you. Fabi, what do you think of those records? Well, I, I didn't get close to that. I was two years later. So uh, it's, of course, 12, 12 years. Grandmaster is amazing. This is, um, yeah. Are, what, are your, what are your next goals? Now that you've become Grandmaster, you've played in the US Championship, you've, which just finished, you've uh, even scored plus two, a remarkable result. Uh, what are your next goals after this? Yeah, my next goal is to get into top 100, which is another... My current rating is 2616. It's another, like, 25 points. Okay, after that, my main goal is to reach 2700 in another 13 months. I want to become the youngest 2700-rated player in the world. And you would be beating out uh, Wei Yi? Is he the current record holder? Yes. Okay, okay. What's up, guys? I just want to take a brief moment to talk to you about this video's sponsor, the Lawnmower 5.0 from Manscaped. In the strategic game of chess, we as grandmasters, we like to think a few moves ahead. The same exact principles apply to the grooming game as well. Every man knows the fear of uh, that close shave just down below the waistline, but with the Lawnmower 5.0, I've managed to checkmate that fear. I've had the privilege uh, to uh, try the new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, and trust me, it's an absolute banger. It's a game changer. I'm always on the go. I travel a lot for my competitions, for my commentary gigs. I'm always traveling. And you know, I need that confidence to be in terms of grooming in tip top shape. And the Lawnmower 5.0, it gives me that confidence. It's the perfect travel companion. It comes with a slick travel case and a travel lock feature, so I can move with absolute confidence, just like on the chessboard. You should try it out yourself. Thanks to Manscaped for sponsoring this video. You can get 20% off and free international shipping if you go to manscaped.com and use our promo code C squared. Now let's get back to the podcast. That's truly impressive. But let's get it back a few notches and talk about your journey in chess. When did you start chess? Who taught you chess as well? Yeah, at the age of two and a half, my dad introduced me to this game. Two and a half? Yeah, he introduced me to the rules. It took me, of course, like a year and a half to learn the rules and so on. But by the age of five, I started playing normal tournaments. Very interesting. And do you remember your first tournament? Yeah, it was somewhere in South Jersey. I got three out of four. Uh, not three out of four. Three and a half out of four. And I think I got first place. It was a nice event. So you won your first ever event in... Uh... Yes. I have a different experience from my first <laughs> event. I lost all my games. So <laughs> it didn't go quite as well. It was... There was a lot of planning beforehand. I used to play against this kind of computer on my iPad and so on. I remember, first of all, beating it after using like 15, 20 undos. It was the first time I beat it. I was four years old. And then from there, okay, I kept kept playing, kept playing more training games, practice games. Eventually things started to click. So what was your training like? Like what, what were your training? I assume you had as coaches as well, but what were your training practices like? Yeah, okay. Back then, I don't remember too much. It's It's been a while, uh, but... Yeah, I used to play some games, uh, do some puzzles online, but yeah, that was that was it was very like sort of casual back then. Okay, casual, yeah. I mean, uh, since I first uh, heard your name, it, it has been nothing but casual, right? Um, you were chasing records all the time, and we were hearing this in in newspapers, U.S. chess. Everybody was reporting on your journey as well. When did you first start feeling like this? is some sort of a projected career for you? I guess when I broke my first my first record, the youngest expert in US chess history at the age of seven, mm -hmm. 
well, I, I kind of love doing the work and getting the success. The success is what propelled me to keep going. Because, okay, of course, it's very difficult to continue playing this game at a young age when if you don't have any success, it's like quite, quite difficult to continue. So, yeah, successes keep coming. I kept working very hard and I kept seeing the results. But there's also something else. Uh, obviously, successes are going to be very sweet and they're going to propel you uh, further in your journey. But you need passion as well, because at times in your chess career, you will have setbacks. It's inevitable, right? Every single player has had setbacks. How do Definitely. you deal with those? And, and tell us a bit about your passion about chess. Yeah, playing chess is a, it's a journey, frankly. Like every, every player has not mastered this game and it's everywhere, everyone can improve. Uh, with this game, it's either you win or you learn. This is how I, how I try to look at it. I, I, in the sense that either you win or, okay, if you lost the game, the thing with chess is if you've lost, you've definitely made a mistake. There's nothing like the odds were stacked against you or so on. It's like, okay, you made some mistake. You've, you've like, you need to fix something. And every, okay, every game I win, lost, draw, no matter what the result is, I try to, I analyze the game. Uh, I improve, I try to, work on my problem areas. So for example, once when I was uh, nine, I played, I lost in some double bishop ending. And from there, uh, I helped, I worked with my dad. I found this very nice game online. I think it was Gongli versus Wang Hao. I spent like six hours on the board practicing that game. And that the next time I got a double bishop ending, I was able to play it much better. That, that's also where the passion comes in, right? Because to actually look at end games for hours and hours after uh after you realize that you need to work on this area uh it's not something that everyone can do like you need a special sort of either passion or uh personality type to be able to apply yourself in that way is that is that something that is for you in chess or just broadly in life that you you find that you have that kind of focused mentality i was mainly following whether like my father was one of my coaches uh, in the sense that okay he would. He always had great ideas, and he still he still does. I I still follow him. Uh, the point is okay. He had this idea that okay, let's work on this ending because the worst thing that can happen in chess is that you repeat the same mistake twice. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I think I feel nowadays that nowadays that engines have become so strong and everyone has access to them that sometimes after the game you just you go and you look and you see oh, okay I missed I missed this move on move twenty eight and I lost the game. You just and then you forget about it and then you move on. But the issue with this is that later on, you, you'll make the same mistake again. Like, not in the exact same position, but something similar to that. So I've always, like, yeah, so I've been, uh, whenever my father, whenever I make a mistake, my father, he tries to get some relevant material. Uh, my coaches, my father, we, we try to find some relevant material towards that, and we try to work on that. Speaking of engines, do you feel like that's one of the ways that has helped you and also players of your generation to improve really, really quickly? Yeah, that's definitely, it's definitely a big role. It definitely has a big role because think about it in the, in the times of, say, like Bobby Fischer. He had, if he, if he messed up some, some game, he would have to spend hours and hours on board, moving all the pieces and, and, fight, and figuring out the conclusions all by himself. And even after that, you cannot be 100% sure. There's always some mistake or the other. Nowadays, we have with just one, one, two clicks, we get like this 3,500 rated engine, which can solve basically anything. On the other hand, it's also like, because we're, we know that the engine is more, not infallible, but very close to it, that it can be easy to trust it without applying our own um, judgment. Yeah, our own judgment or like thinking critically about it in the way that you, you brought up Bobby Fischer, players of, of those times, they had nothing to rely on. They would just have to rely on themselves. Do you think that also takes away a little bit from uh, the chess learning process? Or do you think it's all a positive in terms of improving at chess? Yeah, that's a great point that, okay, engines are, that we kind of blindly trust them at times. I have a, like, there's, there's many cases, for example, like in chess, uh, for example, you say, you see like an attack that looks dangerous. But then the engine comes along and refutes it. It's, of course, quite disheartening. But what I think we, without how we should work with engines is that we should try to we should try to understand what they're thinking in the sense that, OK, like if it's if it says the end game is winning and if it's showing a clear path, then we should un we should go with it. If things are going very, like very, very far fetched and it's like a bit too much, OK, we can kind of leave it. So we should stay like within 
not like human constraints, but like really like understandable. Mm. Trying to keep the engine in in rain, let's say. Trying to yes. apply when that is relevant and when maybe human understanding is more or practical human understanding is more important. Yes. And I feel that's probably where coaches come in and seconds as well come in, right? Because seconds in general, they look at the position, they analyze nonstop with the engine. They don't have that leeway to try to think too much for themselves. And I think this this is a point that uh, PH, uh, Peter Heine made recently. What was the biggest advice or the best advice that he received from Magnus Stop thinking. Just, he didn't say it was Magnus. He said from a student, right? From a student, yeah, yes. Yeah. And it was Magnus. Yeah. Just follow the engine lines, basically, uh, which was kind of funny. But you did this, and I was doing commentary at the Yoshemishev, and you came for an interview, and I had the engine on at one point, and you said, can you turn that off? Because I need to do training after the game. I need to look at the position with my own eyes after the games um, and not have that bias inserted into the training. How are those few hours after each and every game usually progressing for you? Yeah, it's usually quite painful, okay, if, especially if you've lost a game. You go back and it's like you, you, you really just don't want to look at the board again. It's like right. you've, you've messed up the game and now you, you have to retry it again. But Even if you don't mess up the game, you, you still thought for like six hours your brain is kind of burning. Yeah, just, I mean, how, how do you look at chess and try to actually solve problems for the next two hours again? Yeah, it's mainly because the the thing that with chess is that okay, the the same kind of problems will come will come again. Like not okay, not move per move, not they're not necessarily the same idea, the same end game, but in some sort of way they're kind of connected. So if I if I made some mistake like for example, in my game against you Fabi, uh I had some move order issues like with bishop takes c3 and so on. That kind of helped me t the next day like I I put these positions over the board and of course my dad had run the engine during the game and I solved these I solved the exercises again and that helped me the next day to find h3 against Levon mm -hmm. instead of queen takes c6 directly which so these kind of things like maybe like the positions are completely different I agree that okay it's not like it's what one position is very quiet other position is completely it's like king's indian yeah. all tactical yeah. but yeah this kind of things are Quite important. So you're seeing patterns between even unrelated positions, for example, like keeping the tension in one position, like yes. in our game, or releasing the tension it might be a mistake, things like this. Yes. That, that's interesting because I, I feel like there are a lot of connections in chess, but we t sometimes tend to only see the very direct ones and sometimes ignore that like these principles do apply in different types of positions as well. Mm -hmm. No, that's... Uh... I really like that this approach. At the same time, not everybody's built for it. I would assume. Um, how are you doing training after the games? <laughs> well, I wish I was as disciplined as you. I, <laughs> I check the engine immediately after. I can't. I can't help myself. I mean, um, but I, I'm actually very impressed that you're not checking the engine immediately after because, like, the the immediate um, desire is of curiosity, like what happened in my game. So to actually be able to stave that off for a few hours. Uh, or even for however long time it is, just and try to think about the position on your own. Although I, I do feel like it's it's it could be very useful because we have all these like variations we calculated, and because we've already done all this work during the game, it's it's quite possible to figure things out after just on your own based on all the work you did during the game, and then to see um, if let's say your conclusions are objectively correct with an engine after you're done after you've done the work. So that's very yes. interesting as well. Is it generally more uh, difficult to uh, look? and do this training after a win or after a loss? Well, it's usually more difficult after after a loss. Because, okay, after a win, well, not always, but most of the time you've you've made less mistakes, so the analysis will not go on for as long. Mm. The thing is, when you've lost, it's like evaluation is <laughs> evaluation is dropping, position is worsening. It, it's more depressing to look at. How about for you? Because I've seen you obsessively look and try to analyze and correct your mistakes, especially after a loss? Well, after a loss, I'm obsessive. After a win, I'm like, okay, job's, job's done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, yeah. Uh, let's chill. After a loss, I get very obsessive. And then I really like want to punish myself. Um, by looking at chess yes, for like the next four hours. I remember that, uh, and I keep bringing this game up, against uh, Naka. Yeah, yeah, that was Norway. That was you spent painful the rest of the night just looking yeah, and I trying to I fix sleep. that thing. You didn't, <laughs> didn't sleep at all. Sleep. 
you just like looked at that position, try to improve uh, uh, that particular line. But speaking of uh, of the end of your tournament, uh, because we we had this game in the penultimate round, but then you immediately bounced back with a win against uh, a very very strong player, one of the best players of his uh, of his time for sure. Uh, do you generally find it easy to? reset after a loss or to just like shake it off and then to move on to the next game or the next tournament or whatever it is yeah i think this is also a very important skill as a player that no matter how things how bad things have gone to be able to bounce back is kind of necessary because like no matter how good form you're in at some point you're bound to lose a game maybe okay maybe in this tournament maybe the next tournament but at some point you're going to lose a game but the most important thing is that you don't collapse because the worst thing that can happen is you lose one game then you lose another and then Okay, you start tilting, and then all of a sudden the whole tournament is over. You're losing whatever you've gained, and so on. Uh, I try to go game by game. That okay, this game I messed up. Okay, I have next game. Now it's a completely new game. It has nothing to do with the last one. Mm-hmm. Let's just play our best chess and hope. Hope this time it goes better. But this must have uh, come to you with experience, right? It, it probably was never that smooth. Even though if you look at your graphic, it just looks very, very smooth. But tell us a bit about your difficult moments, if you can remember some during your ascent from expert level to international master level to grandmaster level to where you are right now. Sure. One thing with my chess journey is that I've never shied away from playing difficult tournaments. For example, my when I wanted to become the youngest international master in the world, I got all my 3D norms through Grandmaster Norm events. Mm. And this means that, okay, at times, you're not going to have the best tournaments. Like, I think there was a period after I became international master, for 36 games, four full tournaments, I couldn't win a single game. Mm. It, was very, it was very painful that, okay, you go to tournament, you, lo- you lose, then you draw, then you draw a couple more games, you lose, and mm-hmm, then you have mm-hmm. to go back home. And... But I, def- I've, I knew that, okay, this thing will not continue forever. Like, I cannot... <laughs> I, I will start winning at some point. I kept working on my skills. I kept improving because th- whenever you lose in chess, no matter whether it's time trouble or something, it's always a skill error, skill issue. Mm-hmm. That's interesting uh, way to look at it, yeah. Like, there's no such thing as... You don't think about luck. You don't think like, about yeah, anything like of is, that nature. Okay. Like, luck, luck you can is kind of there a little bit, but the thing is, it's mainly, like, it's... If you're missing something, it's not, you can't just say, okay, the stars are not aligned today. Right. Because if you're missing something now, you're going to miss the same thing in like say three days. So the thing is that, okay, you have to, if you're missing something, you need to ask, why am I missing this? Like these kind of things, like if say, if you miss something very simple tactically, maybe it's some kind of a blind spot that, okay, like I think recently, like for example, if you're, if you're not able to solve positions where, say, the king is in the center, like there's some kind of patterns that you're you're kind of you're kind of uh, looking. Okay, maybe sometimes you can you can rule. You can say it's a bad day, but usually it's there's some kind of patterns that are correlated. I usually blame my unlucky pen for my <laughs> losses, and then I change the pen, and then I lose again, and that's how it usually works. Um, are you superstitious in that regard, or it's all I take responsibility for everything type of thing? Well, this tournament, I had a very lucky uh, purple shirt. I, <laughs> so I, there is some superstition right there. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. A little bit. It's, <laughs> We're getting there. Uh, I played, I think the first game I wore was against Ray. I, I won that game. Then I wore it against both of the Sams. <laughs> I, I won both of those games too. And then I wore it against Fabi. And okay, things didn't go so well. <laughs> so yeah. maybe, maybe it's your skills and not the shirt after all. <laughs> Perhaps. Other than that, okay, like... Uh, I'm like religious. Uh, I've, I'm with Hindu. Uh, I Before every game, I do a, a short prayer mm-hmm. that helps me focus during the game and so on. Stay centered. Um, no, I like that. I, I think that's definitely important. You know, we hear about elite athletes always have something that centers them, that gives them stability in this type of difficult moments. Some of them meditate before uh, a big competition. Some of them try to clear their, their mind somehow. Uh, some of them attribute successes, failures to a higher power, and that keeps them going, right? Um, are you religious or spiritual in that regard? Or? Not too much, I have to say. But I, I do think it's—I do think it's that. very important to, uh, yeah, to have something that doesn't let you get too ahead of yourself. Let's say to like either find perspective in life or or whatever it is, 
uh, or to yeah ground yourself, as you mentioned. I think that's very important. Well, at some point, even during the World Championship preparation against Magnus, you were doing a lot of yoga. That was yeah. one mm-hmm. of the things that was kind of helping you ease your mind, I guess, in, in oh, some yeah, way. Yeah, that's actually speaking of that, um, are you into like what's your uh, let's say physical routine in terms of preparing for chess? Because we know it's such an important factor as well in in these long tournaments, physical fitness and, and form. Yeah, I'm not. Like, as of now, I'm not doing too much of that. Like, usually at home, okay, sometimes I'll go for a bike ride in the, in the afternoons. But, okay, usually it's mostly just sit in my room, start preparing, and so on. Okay. But still, you, you have that meditation, uh, prayer, because that's a form of meditation, basically. So I think that's quite important. I like that. I like that uh, yeah. aspect of training and, and centering before a round. It's... It's one issue. It's one area where I, where we need to improve this physical physical training before the round. I, I think like I mean at your age it's you have endless energy. Right. But, <laughs> but when you're getting into our our age territory, then you're like okay, I I need to to stay stay fit or or I'm gonna burn out. But in terms of the U.S. Championship, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was your first top level event. Uh, how, what were your emotions coming into it and during it and after your success? What what are your how do you look back on it? Yeah, this was this was one of the best events I've ever played. I think one of the similar events I've played are like uh, let's say Tepesigmen. I played one in Sweden. Uh, many like top players nowadays were were playing there. I think one was Gokesh was playing. Uh, Ved for East, mm-hmm. uh, Vincent Keimer. Yeah. It's and there were like many other people. That's a good event. Yeah. Another one was uh, Dubai Open. I played against like Taba Tabai, Salim Sela, and many other very strong players. These events I played well, and throughout these events I noticed one thing: I was always ready to fight. Mm-hmm. Like in in all these in all of these events, whatever wins I've had, they weren't just from like staying passive. It was always it was always like fire on the board type things, and okay, then things managed to work out. Like in Tepesigmen, I had like two worst positions, but I managed to set in both of them. The board was literally like I wild tactical complications, and things and things turned out my way. So with this tournament, I was I was never afraid of of a fight because okay. okay everyone, I also knew in this tournament that I was one of the lowest rated, so everyone would try to beat me, because okay if if one wants to win this event, you need to beat all the people in the lower half. Some somehow it always feels that there's whenever you go from level to level to level, there's always an adjustment period when you enter a new level. And you were mentioning playing against these very strong players, 26, 50, 2700s. They are one level above your rating, right? So at least in your mind, even maybe objectively it's not the case, they're still considered to be stronger than you. How do you adjust to that um, when you have to perform against these strong players? I guess the main thing is that, okay, nothing really changes from my side. I just have to play chess. Mm. And the pressure is kind of more on them to prove something. That, okay, they're, they're higher rated, they have to... They have to protect the rating, sort of. Mm. And I, I, I'm just here to play a game. Okay, whatever happens, happens. Do you remember those moments when you were climbing? Oh, actually, one of your game against uh, Sam Shankland reminded me of a bit of a game I played because I used to play this French a lot myself when I was a kid, and especially the Winover French. And so I often got these structures where I'm very passive and waiting, like like you had that that uh, you were you basically couldn't do anything. You just had to wait and wait and wait. Um, and that's one of like the most difficult skills in chess, being able to just sit there knowing for the next five hours I'm sitting here, I have to defend this position. But then you suddenly got a chance to, to win the game. When did you start to feel like, um, like maybe he's, there's a chance that maybe you're going to win this game. Maybe you won't be passive forever and, and it might turn around. Yeah, actually, that was quite, quite a sad game, frankly. Like it's, you, it's. You're right. It's very difficult to just sit there and wait. Your opponent can do anything he wants. Like his king was on, I think like d1. He brought the king all the way to g2 and so on. I just have to keep waiting. Queen yeah. a, queen c6, queen a4, queen c6, queen a4. I think when he started opening the position, when he was actually trying to win the game with g5 and so on, I. The thing is, okay, if you want to win this kind of position, you have to give some chances to black. Like maybe not a lot, but mm-hmm. you have to you have to start some some sort of a fight. And after that, I, of course, I didn't play that perfectly from there on. We were in the second time control. I, I, I kind of got quite low on time, like five minutes, five, six minutes. I started this counterplay on the queen side with like rook b8 uh, and so on. I played 
a5 b4 and things okay things became quite complicated and i was i was very happy that okay at least okay i'm down on time like everything i position is maybe not optimal still fighting for my life but at least it's mm. much more there's it's much more double-edged yeah yeah it's opened up and suddenly one mistake actually as it turned out right yeah. he uh once the position became equal like you immediately got a winning position right as soon yeah. as things opened up and then he missed this night fork I assume at least that's what he missed. I, I believe so, yeah. And and then he had this miracle at the end. But I I mean, how would you find this unless you know that it's there? Like it's just such a such a random chance that White got. Yeah, this is also another another issue with chess is that like when the tide changes to keep your cool is quite difficult. Like when the for example, he was like he was pressing throughout the whole game. I had no active moves. Then all of a sudden all my everything became everything had become much, much better for Black. Now, to keep his calm and, like, make sure that, okay, there's no tricks and so on, like, he played, yeah, he played Mishnik Sub 7 quite quickly, and then all of a sudden I was winning, and after, okay, after someone, after you go from winning to losing, it's very, you just, your instinct is just play a couple moves and just, okay, if it's a draw, I make a draw, otherwise, okay, if I lose, I'm just, I'm just going home now. Yeah, you, you lose your sense of where you are in the game. It's like, the shift is too Momentum drastic. Shift. yeah. 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 Do you feel like you handle that well, like trend shifts during the game? Because that's that's a huge part, I think, of, of chess is being able to sense when the trend is changing, when suddenly you're the aggressor, or when you suddenly have a chance to win the game. Do you feel like that's one of your strengths, that you can feel like the momentum of the game well? Yeah, I think it's one of the areas I need to work on. Like this, one of my games against Tans, I think, round round four, mm-hmm. I was kind of, I was better at the opening, I had, a, I had a good position, then all of a sudden I didn't really have too much of a plan, and Okay, at that point, I should have realized that, okay, this, this game is not going in my favor. I should just bail out and make a draw. Mm-hmm. But what happened was I kept, I kept queens on the board. Then within a couple moves, I, I offered a queen trade. Like, he offered a queen trade. I said no. Then with like two, within two moves, I realized, okay, my position is not going well. And I offered a queen trade. And after that, even after that, I made some terrible moves and I managed to lose the game. It was this, uh, this momentum change I, I still have issues with. Yeah, and uh, I remember your guys' uh, game. When the momentum shifted a little bit, obviously it was a very bad position for you, Abimani, out of the opening, out of the middle game, but then that queen before came. And even when we had the interview afterwards, you were concerned that you might have lost your advantage along the way. How did you deal with that? Well, I wasn't sure how much of the advantage I lost, but I knew that I went from like, basically, the game should be over if I just make a few more accurate moves. And then, yeah, then knight c4 come, my queen is trapped, and suddenly I have to start to calculate again when I didn't really have to. Um, but that, yeah, that, that game was interesting in terms of trend shifts, for sure. Luckily, I didn't, like, ever um, spoil it, objectively. Yeah. But, yeah, it was... Uh, I, could, I could feel that you sensed that this is, like... Because, actually, you were about to make... After Queen before you were about to play Rook D7. And I was yeah, thinking, yeah. oh, thank, thank God. Thank God, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've escaped. <laughs> I've escaped. And then you noticed at that moment that Knight C4 was a possibility, right? And then, yeah, yeah. obviously, you quickly played it after you noticed it. Yeah, but being able to keep your calm in that moment, like, it's very simple. You just make, like, one wrong move. I get a lot of more counterplay. But, of course, it feels nice when you're the, when you're the defender. You start, you start lashing out. Okay, it's like your position finally becomes better. But, okay, you, you never really let me have another chance in that game. But you still feel at least you're getting some practical chances. Maybe yes. not objective chances, uh, but practical chances you definitely get. And against a lot of players you would have been able to turn things around in, yeah, in that game for sure yeah it's nice like you're, you've been defending the whole game okay you're like completely dead lost and all of a sudden your pieces start going forward his pieces start retreating and okay like maybe maybe something might work mm-hmm. but of course this is the thing with the top of the top they don't give you second chances <laughs> yeah absolutely no um what else should we be talking about burnout that's actually a, a thing I want to talk about uh, with you because at some point you did encounter a roadblock in terms of your uh, rating ascension and this seems to have been a very important thing for you. You chased the, the expert record, you chased the grandmaster record, now you're chasing the 2700 uh, record. But what happens when you have those roadblocks in your path? When let's not you're not losing a lot of rating, but you're not also gaining a lot of rating. Things seem to be a bit stale in your uh, your ascension. Yeah, this happened I, at the range of I was at the range of around twenty five fifty for close to a year. Mm-hmm. The thing was okay. I I knew that okay. I I will go up. Right. Like if if I keep learning new things, my strength will 
increase. Mm-hmm. If I keep playing more games, I keep improving my openings. If I keep improving my chain, my play in general, then okay, so something has to work. Like this, this number is an indication of my strength. But did you feel any psychological burnout at that point? Hey, I don't want to look at chess anymore. I don't want to play tournaments. I want to take a break. Did that ever I come think, to your mind? I think it's kind of the opposite when I was stuck. Like I wanted to, I wanted to break this as quickly as possible. Mm. Then okay, let's, let's move to the next level and, and then let's see what happens there. Like around that time I did, uh, I did this, I think this was like, like two, three months ago. I did this Michael Adams book, Think Like a Super Grandmaster. I was setting each and every position on the board and with, with the clock, uh, whatever, how much ever time he was taking, if he was taking five minutes on the position, I'll put five minutes on the clock and I was doing that. I think in that book I got like 26, 30, like they have this kind of like test, like 40 positions. And after that, they give you a fitted estimated rating. My fitted estimated rating came out to be like 26, 30. And okay, at that point I knew that, okay, I'm that very, gave you a confidence I'm, boost. I'm very underrated. I, I just need to keep, keep improving, keep playing and okay if i play to my strength then I, sh- I should be going up quite quickly soon that's a good strategy i have to say always find tools to try to break that mental uh, barriers i like it and we were discussing i was discussing with uh, your dad during tata steel and we were discussing this type of burnout situation and and how to get over it and i'm glad that you managed to uh, to do so uh, this year right now you're at like 26 30 Close to 2630, as you were mentioning. Um, that's your expected, let's say, rating based on that uh, book. What's uh, next is 2700. You have 13 months to go. Who's helping you right now break those barriers? Who are your coaches? You don't have to give us names if you don't want to, but yeah. tell us a bit about those uh, important tools and, and helpers in your life. Yeah, unfortunately, I would. I would prefer not to disclose their names. I'm working with a couple different coaches and okay, I think for the privacy of them, I would mm-hmm. I'd rather not give the names. Up. So you have coaches for different aspects of the game, the opening, the middle game. Can you give us at least some, uh, some ideas in that regard? Like, sure. Okay, this is, there's one opening coach and then there is a middle game. There's a specific type of middle game coach. Like how do you... Sure, because the thing, with diff- the thing with different players is that not everyone is strong at everything. And I mean, nowadays, this is another thing that you need, you need to be universal nowadays. Like you cannot, back in the olden days, okay, you can say maybe I'm a positional player. But nowadays, okay, with, with, like, with now how openings have kind of, nowadays with openings being very, okay, not soft, but very, very analyzed, you need to be able to come up with new ideas. And these new ideas lead to a, vari- a variety of different positions. And based on that, nowadays you need to be, you need to be universal. And but the thing is, okay, of course, every player has their own strength and weakness. And yeah, I, I have some, I have some coaches for middle game, some coaches for calculation, some coaches for opening, and so on. Did you have that growing up? I had something not quite like that, but I would work sometimes with players for a specific opening. Like I worked with uh, Razuvayev on the Catalan before he, he passed away, sadly. Uh, I, I worked with Belyovsky as well. Um, also, he was an expert on the Catalan, so we were working on, on this. Things I feel are a bit different now because like, the tool, opening tools are such that uh, everyone can be a specialist in any opening potentially. It's, like, it's, a much, um, it's much easier to break through compared to in the old days when... I, I'm not, old, not very old days, I'm not that old. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, definitely the information age has progressed massively. Kind uh, of open source. Yeah, nowadays. like yes. yeah. fast fashion. Like there's many cases that okay, some guy has played some idea, some person has played some idea, and like within six hours you look at another term and another person plays the same idea. I think like I think in my game against Wesley, he mentioned that he saw this game between Carlson and Keimer, and he used that idea in our game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a few days later. Yeah, it's it's amazing how quickly this information is being passed on and how. Anyone can prepare basically any opening in a couple of days. So are you following chess games constantly? Like, are you looking at all, ch- all chess events and all the games that are being played as much as you can? Yeah. Another thing with these events is other than like opening, like opening ideas and so on. Another thing that I do is I use them for calculation. So the okay. same way I analyze my own games, I do for, for their games. So okay, so my, my dad will look at some of these top events. He'll find some positions where uh, these top players went wrong and I'll... I'll put them over the board and I'll try to solve them myself. 
So you're not just you're not looking at an engine. You're trying to really immerse yourself in the games and trying to figure them out yes. with your own head before you look at and try to figure out if you found all the details of the game where you analyze properly. Okay, that's yeah. that's very interesting. That's I don't think many people are doing that. No, I really no, think that's no. a very rare um, uh, training process. It's it's a quality that you need to have, right? Um, in personality as well, because not a lot of people can do that, can sit down it's like difficult. that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not it's easy. difficult. For me, that was one of the most difficult things, just because I wanted, I, I, I was restless in not being able to sit down and focus for so long. So that's a quality that definitely will help throughout your career. I think it really helps to have a second person because, okay, doing all these things, doing all these things by yourself, like if you look at a top game, to see where they made a mistake, like the chances are you'll look at the engine line too. But if you have another person doing that for you, that helps a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely to, to be able to share that labor a bit so you can get some guidance so you don't have to take all the, the weight of it yourself is, is very helpful. And speaking of uh, watching games, I've heard there was this uh, process that Kramnik, and maybe this is nonsense, but my understanding, there was this play chess database being updated every single day with a bunch of games that were played that day. And Kramnik was just going through every single one of those games very quickly, like not trying to think about the position, about the opening, just going through the moves and maybe just visually try to assimilate that. I don't know. Is that something that you do? Is that something that you do at all? Assimilate those patterns by just watching a bunch of games? Yeah, usually I try to... I take a much slower approach, like as in I try to I try to delve very deep into the game. Like mm -hmm. just seeing the game is not enough for me. Yeah, do I have to say that? I'm a bit more superficial in my approach. <laughs> I, I I when I was younger, I was definitely um, applying myself similarly to to how you mentioned that you train uh, working over the board. But that was also because the tools were not quite there Different. as much. Yeah. So it was also I I don't know if I would have been able to do so if I had an engine at the ready all the time. But definitely these days it's more like just skimming over things, just trying to uh, see what's 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 going on. Um, so so in this tournament you won four games, right? Five. Five games. Yes, five I games. Oh my to, god. To him. He lost three. He won five and only three draws. Because I remember. Okay, so you beat two Sams. You I beat, beat Hans. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, you lost to Hans, but you beat Ray and you beat Levon and Tank. And you beat Andrew. Oh, five games. That's that's enormous. So it really feels like you had a very fearless approach. Like in a tournament like this, you basically, um, I mean, more than half your results were decisive, even much more than half your yes. results. That's that's quite remarkable. Uh, is that just like your style or is that circumstance or was that also your approach to the tournament? I think with these kind of tournaments, if the start, the second you start playing for draw against high, against like these top players, okay, you're going to get mauled left and right. Mm. Like you cannot, you cannot try to play very solid and so on. You have to play like... Okay, maybe other players can, but I cannot. Like I, I just wanted to have a fight every game because the second things get complicated, it's a three result game. I also know that okay, I've worked on my calculation in these kind of things a lot. That okay, things will not go. I'm not that much worse than these guys in these areas. So let's let's go there. Let's have a fight. If I lose, I lose. Okay, next game. I feel that the amount of training that you put in gives you a great deal of confidence going into this type of uh, wars against the best chess players on the planet. Definitely. And this is probably something that is extremely important if you are a um, aspiring player to do. Get your down, excuse my language, get your butt down uh, in that training chair and just like try to figure things out. Try to give yourself those tools. Uh, to go into this battle and be able to um, compete. What about some of the players who are a bit older than you? Uh, like, let's say, um, players who have already broken through to the top level, like, let's say, Gukesh or Abdusatarov or Pragnanta. Do you feel like you are, uh, you can use them as inspiration, or do you feel like they're the target? So, like, in a few years, you're you're going to be at their level, and you don't want to look at to them for inspiration because they're your rivals. How do you feel about that? It's both ways. Uh, these guys have. They're kind of showing that it's possible with this, this new generation to break through to the top level. It's not like it's totally not. It's not just the older generation. Okay, not too old, but yeah, not the. Why are you looking at me when you're saying older generation? <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> I feel so old. He's older than I am, so that's that's okay. Oh, I'm not the oldest. You're the oldest one here. Oh. So it, they, they're in, in they're an inspiration in the sense that okay, they can that they're showing that it's all possible that mm -hmm. 
they can compete against Carlsen and all these other top players. Okay. And yeah, I also I want to be there as well. So I try to. I think at at this age, I think I'm the like the, my graph is like better than most of the other players. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And again, you talked about this having a bunch of coaches traveling to tournaments and uh, you're notorious for that when you were trying to get from IM to GM and, and breaking those records. This was a very difficult period in the world of chess because this was at the beginning of COVID 2020, 2021. Uh, yet you traveled to Europe and you played a lot of chess. That's not cheap. You, you need sponsorships for that. You need to invest. You've invested and your dad has invested a lot uh, into your progress. Tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about sponsorship opportunities for you. How do you see that progress in your career? Sure. So after I became the youngest international master in the world, I had like 22 months. I was like very sure I was going to break this. Okay, 100 points, three norms. Okay, this will be quite nice. It won't be too bad. Then all of a sudden the world just comes to a stop. Like eight months, no tournaments. Right. Like I was sitting at home. I, I used this time to improve my chess understanding. I read, a, I read a lot of books. I think I did Dvetsky during this time and so on. And yeah, that helped. But okay, there still weren't many tournaments. I think I remember once once every two, three months, there was, there used to be a 10 hour long car drive to Charlotte mm. for one norm event. We used to spend like two, three hours sanitizing the room. Mm. It th things were terrible back then. It, mm. was, it was very scary. Then finally, there were some tournaments that opened up in Europe. I think Hungary was basically one of the only places in the world where you could play these events. So we decided to take all the precautions, double mask, everything, face shield. I, I have like many, I think I have like photos in like World Cup wearing a face shield. So there were many, we took many precautions and we decided to go with one way ticket to Europe. Mm. And there, okay, 70, I played like 77 games in like 90 days or something. It was it's very that's very costly scary. traveling all around Europe, uh, paying your coaches as well. That's very costly. Do you have any sponsors? How how is that going for you? Yeah, unfortunately, as of now, despite breaking all national and international records, I have no sponsors. Uh, for a brief period, uh, Chessable was sponsoring me, but ever since the merger with Chess.com, okay, nothing. Everything has been shut down. Mm, mm. Do you feel like that's a chess problem? That just chess is struggling to find sponsorships, or is there something? Uh, else behind it is it perhaps um, something to do with United States chess or do you think it's better in other countries or, or how do you see that I think yeah US is US is like the, one of the best countries financially but the issue is in terms of visibility towards chess uh, here it's not so high uh, here like to become top chess players of course here chess is used as a tool to get into, into Ivy League colleges and so on is as opposed if you look as into India, you have all these amazing young talents and everyone has been like fully funded mm -hmm. for the last couple of years. I think I, I heard of some story that uh, there was this 16 year old person who became grandmaster or okay, I'm not entirely sure about the age, but they became grandmaster and the state, the state government asked him how much, what do you want to do with chess? He said, I want to become super grandmaster. And they asked him, how much money do you need? He gave, he gave some number like $200,000 and they gave him $250,000. Mm. Here, things are not like that. Here, okay, here people, they don't care too much. Yeah, and that seems like more of a difference. In India, you have government support, a lot of that, right? Um, a lot of the oil companies as well, but at the same time, having Vichy Anand as one of, and this is funny because Hikaru keeps mentioning <laughs> Vichy as uh, the Jesus uh, and uh, his disciples, disciples right? Uh, all these Indian kids that, that are 2,700 and plus. Um, we don't have that necessarily, the government support in the United States, we don't have that culture. It's almost like a cultural uh, difference. Do you think that could change in any way? Yeah, that could potentially change in the future now that chess is receiving more and more exposure throughout, like, nowadays, like, this chess boom is going on, like, I think since Queen's Gambit, the popularity has been rising of this game. Sure, yeah. And, yeah, maybe things will, will get better in the future. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that, okay, like, here, it with, with chess, another thing is unless you reach the top of the top, it's very difficult to make a, a living of this game. And now here, like, 
with five times less effort, you can get into Ivy League college. You can make very good money. And okay, you can live a very, very simple life. Mm. But the issue is, okay, with chess, you need to work much harder and you need to get to a much, much higher level. So that's probably another reason why it's not. Yeah, this is something definitely that I, I've noticed with young talents in the United States compared to, for example, India, especially, is that very, you have very talented players in the United States, but they, they generally, after college, tend to pursue other career paths because they're usually more... Uh, more stable. Fin- yeah, stable or financially rewarding, and chess is a bit more of a, uh, gamble. a gamble very often, yeah. yeah. And definitely that it, it feels also like a cultural thing somewhat because, as you mentioned, the government support... But also in the United States, it's very much like companies, company sponsorships. That's where we, we yeah, yeah, corporate, sure. uh, corporate support that, that we're looking for for chess tournaments or sometimes private donors. But the government doesn't get involved in that whatsoever. So uh, that's that's a big difference with India. And like Indian chess players, they have so much, as you mentioned, so much support. Uh, not just the top players who, of course, get enormous support, but also uh, the the young the grandmasters. Talents. Yeah, the rising talents. They're, they're also getting huge support. So that, that's very seems like a cultural difference in some ways as well. I think so, yeah. And probably it's just about when we manage to get chess as a game um, involved in ESPN, involved in these like big networks, put it on TV, get a lot of eyes on it. I think that's when we're going to start seeing this trickle down into the corporate sponsorship when it comes to players, individual players as well. Do, do you think that will take a long time? Because I feel like... Like it's been a process for a while, right? It's, it feels yeah. like. No, no, definitely, definitely it's a long process, but also a lot of that money will end up in the biggest, uh, where all the eyeballs will get, the, the players who will get all the, all the views. Yes. And, uh, and then the other approach is to, to invest in the players who have a bright future, but they don't have the, they're not famous at the moment, but someday they will be, because that, that's more of a long-term thing. And I don't know if companies go for that or rather they go for okay let's invite Hikaru and Nakamura yep. sorry Hikaru, Hikaru and Magnus <laughs> yes. Hikaru and Nakamura, yes. Hikaru, Nakamura. <laughs> Hikaru and Magnus for a match and and that's what's obviously going to get most people most uh, eyes on the on the event so yeah that that's a question as well and that's something that you've been trying to do as well uh, I'm sure you probably your dad probably manages you in 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 some regard and you've been posting on social media as well do you see that aspect of let's say professional sports, the social media presence, um, having that type of reach, having that type of platform, do you feel that is important towards your success in your career? Yeah, I'm gonna be totally honest about this. I don't use any of my social media accounts. Uh, it's all it's all managed by my parents because all this this is very. Of course, you're 14. Come on. <laughs> of yeah, of course. It's a very it's a very dark world As out it there. It should be. Yeah. And okay, like I don't. I have to, my, my job is to play chess and okay, that they can, they can deal with these kind of things. They can inquire with companies about sponsorships and so on. It's not, it's not my job. Absolutely. No. And, um, speaking of social media, we've, we always see this type of drama springing around and, and one of them included you as well. When you uh, became a grandmaster, there was this, uh, tweet by, uh, Jan Nepomnia, she, um, basically questioning the whole process of getting and achieving norms. How did that impact you? Yeah, I'd like to start this off by saying I respect Jan as a player. He's like, he's one of the best players in the world. But it was also a bit, it was a bit strange. Like, okay, this, he should have brought these things up a long time ago. Like, these, these things could have been changed like 17 years ago when he became Grandmaster. Mm-hmm. Like, now, now he's bringing up after someone broke the record and okay like this 12 year old kid is and the issue is after after he made that tweet it, it, every single article written about me quoted that as if i did something wrong but i just played according to the rules yeah did you feel it took some shine away from your achievement yeah yeah it was it was a bit it was it was i was a bit disappointed to see this especially as all the other top players were very, very supportive very supportive of it I feel like this is also like it, it very often happens that there is this question about tournaments and also like I, I had this not to, to the extent that you had it, that it was public, but uh, I also made all my norms in, in tournaments in Budapest. Um, and uh, yeah, there's always some questions about events. From my 
uh, experience. They were completely legitimate events. That there was nothing weird that happened. Of course, there are some events in in chess that are um, that some you know exchanging goes on or something right, right. something weird happens. But it always is the case that uh, the statement is made later on. Like uh, you can become a GM at whatever age, but the question is, of course, do you continue those results? And so we have this with some players that it's questioned, but then they either prove that they are um, going to someday be a top player or uh, or they don't progress. So it's not really a question, I feel, about the events. It's about what happens after that. Yeah. And you've proved um, through and throughout that your progress continues. Even after that, you are definitely GM level and above after that. Uh, your ascent has been remarkable. I have to say, what's the next step in terms of your training? What 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 do you need to not necessarily change, but add to your game in order to get twenty seven hundred? Yeah, as of now, I have a feeling it's. I I still need to work on all my areas. Like, okay, from here to twenty seven hundred, it's like it, it may just seem like eighty points, not a big mm-hmm. deal. Like just because I just gained like twenty points, maybe okay, another four tournaments, but okay, right. realistically, I know it's not going to be this easy. Absolutely. I think like 2650 to 2700 is going to be very difficult and it, it'll require a lot of different things. That's a shark tank right there. 2650 to 2700. Definitely. There's so many players who are like top top of the top even. Like I think, for example, Morozevich was like 2790 at some point, right? Now he's like 2650. Like if you if you play against these people, like it's crazy. Very scary. Or or the, the younger uh the younger crowd is so I mean, we saw today that uh, Magnus lost to a player who's 26-16, who played uh, an immaculate game, right? Kartikian, yeah. Yeah, Kartikian. And, uh, and we see that uh, players of this level are really able to get scalps against the strongest. And also their, their openings are good. at like The, the competition is, is pretty immense, um, which is also why I was like so impressed with your five wins here, because it's, it's tough to get wins. We saw a lot of players struggling, like Wesley, Lanier, they're, they... They pick up a win here and there, but to get five wins, it takes a lot of um, either fight or a, a lot of um, a lot of skill. So it's it's a tough. I have to say, my days uh, getting getting into the level that you're that you're aiming for, they were a lot easier. You're you're in the yeah, as you said, the Shark Tank. It's it's a tough time, but um, but yeah, for sure, your progress has been just straight up. Absolutely, and thank you. During our last interview, I think you mentioned something about the differences uh, in paths that you can take. You can start playing this type of very strong closed events, or you can try to gain those rating points in open tournament events. And from my understanding, you're trying to achieve that through closed, very strong, very high quality level players events. Um, why is that? Why is that the path? And it, also, this feels very strategic from you. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it all started from when I was becoming my when I was getting my IM norms. The the whole purpose of this is it'll be easier for me later on. Okay, maybe like twenty five to twenty six hundred was much slower, but now now that I'm kind of accustomed to this level of play, now okay, I don't need to change too many things to get to the next level. I'm I'm already used to the playing field. Got it. Got it. No, I I like it. Do you feel like chess is? Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you've you've actually won a lot of your rating points between uh, twenty six and twenty seven hundred in open tournaments, right? Yeah, it was a lot of open tournaments. I have to say, you were playing a hundred games per year, going yeah. from open to open. But there there was a mix. But I think the chess scene has also shifted a little bit compared to, I mean, uh, especially because we've seen yeah the, the pandemic, as you said, that had a huge impact on the chess world, and also when we had in two thousand eight the economic crisis, the collapse of. Uh, that, that also had a huge impact. Like, that changed a lot. Tournaments in Spain, for example. I used to play in Spain all the time. A lot of those events just disappeared, like, in one in one year, basically. Just uh, economic situation was... Um, I was going to ask you something, but now I'm... I'm <laughs> <laughs> I threw you off. Yes, I, I had a <laughs> With question. With the open tournaments. Oh, man. Well, oh, actually, I, I remember. So, uh, do you feel like chess is definitely, uh, or almost definitely going to be your life path? Or do you feel like there's also some... You're not a hundred percent sure about if there. You maybe you'll go in some other direction as well, or do you do you feel firmly focused in this goal? Well, we'll see how things go from here. I'm currently okay. I'm in ninth grade. I still have another like three, four years before I have to formally decide which which path I'm taking. But okay, I'm as of now, I'm keeping both options open. 
And that's actually something <laughs> that I just realized as you were mentioning that you're also going to school. You also have that potential option. You also have those responsibilities that come going to school. For whatever reason, in my mind, you, school was not even a thing going on in your life. Well, it's, it's not as big, as, as big of a thing as chess. I spend most, most of my time on chess every day. The thing with my school is that I go to an online school. It's uh, Crimson Global Academy. They are very flexible in terms of uh, like timings and such. Okay, if I, like for example, I had to come to this tournament. I wrote a mail to my teachers that I won't be able to attend that these this, these many classes. And now I'll go back. I'll finish the work, and everything will be back to normal. And the fact that they have this flexibility is very very good for me. Mm -hmm. So you still keep that in the back of your mind because I know a lot of players, your capabilities and your age, they usually go uh, the homeschooling approach or they just quit school altogether. Um, I think Magnus did that. You yeah, basically I, I, did that I as stopped, well. I stopped going to school earlier than, uh, I mean, younger than you are now. So I was uh, already at 12. I was not 100% committed, but definitely moving along that path. Yeah. Uh, a lot of players in... Uh, we were talking to uh, Carissa, for example. A lot of players in the uh, women's event, they're also going to school at the same time. And and they were mentioning the difficulty in, like Jennifer also mentioning the difficulty in balancing schoolwork and chesswork because they're both so intensive, especially during a tournament. You have to prepare for your games and then you also have like this other thing to think about. Uh, so, that, yeah, I can, I can only imagine the difficulty in balancing that. Yeah, it was quite funny. Uh, I was playing in Sharjah or I, actually, yeah, Sharjah and after like two rounds, I had to appear for my for one of my exams. Like on the third day, okay, I had to take a bye. Like I lost zero out of two, and I had to take a bye. And I think this is also kind of about bouncing back. Okay, like that day I had to appear for my exams. Things went okay, relatively fine. And okay, from there I actually managed to have a decent tournament. Like I got four out of four out of eight, and okay, I got I got my points back, and okay, I gained some points. It was a nice event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Uh, and. Going back a, a few a few notches, we discussed about the importance of idols, the importance of uh, people to look up to. Uh, we were talking about Vichy and all his disciples. <laughs> uh, you also worked with a legend, uh, Gary Kasparov, the Kasparov Chess Foundation. They helped you, supported you throughout your uh, career. How important were those training sessions, seeing Gary in his element, seeing his passion, his dedication? Um, he's burning fire still, even after he retired. How important was that for you? It's amazing, frankly. Like it's, you. For example, uh, I think this was quite recent. Like maybe like last year or so. Uh, there was every six months we have this session. Uh, this time it was in St. Louis. So there was like a TV in like, I think like the right corner. Uh, it had some some Queen Knight ending. Like okay, there was some like some videos of like chess St. Louis chess club playing on repeat, and there was this Queen Knight ending and. Then, okay, Gary looked at the position and, okay, we were going through, we were showing our games and so on, but you could tell for the next hour or so, he wasn't very, he was very, he was very tense. He was mm. like, he, he was, he was very concentrated on the puzzle. And finally he solved the puzzle. It was very, it, it was amazing to see how much, how much focus he put into that puzzle. Attention release. Yeah. At that moment when you finally find the right solution. That's, is chess uh, is also playing constantly in your head as well? Is it something that whatever you're doing is always in the back of your mind? Yeah, definitely. Like, okay, especially during a tournament, but okay, even otherwise, it's it's always something that's going on. It's As of now, okay, it's basically my life, but... Absolutely. And there's also, it, it, it almost feels that there's not necessarily an added pressure, but almost something in the back of your mind when you're being chosen by this type of institutions, okay, Kasparov Chess Foundation, they've supported the best of the best throughout the years. You're part of that mix. Now there is an added responsibility almost. Do you feel that gives you more motivation? Do you feel any additional stress on your shoulders? How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's more motivation that, okay, you're working with the best of the best and okay, let's play to the best of the best so we can learn even more. Yeah. It's okay, if you don't play to your best, okay, it's... You can't learn too much from that. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, Abby, um, I think we've covered so much ground um, at such a young age, so much uh, maturity coming from you. Um, Fabi, do you want to add anything? 
or uh no i i just want to say it was a pleasure to to talk to you today and Same. also Thank i you. look forward to our games in the future i'm sure that we'll be playing each other quite a bit in the coming years so that'll be exciting and i look forward to it abby anything you. Uh, you would like to add any thanks uh, to your supporters sure. anywhere they can find you tell us uh Sure, I'd like that. to thank everyone who supported me in this journey, from my friends to my family, uh, to the people who watch my games online. Uh, thank you, everyone, for everything. Your support means everything to me. Awesome. Well, cheers, guys. See you in the next video.